In this episode, there's an island horror. We have the Zachut speaking to Rav Dr. Zvivron. Rav Ron learned in Yeshivat Shalvim and served as a shooting instructor in the IDF. He previously served on Shlichut in Richmond, Virginia, where he served as Rabbi of Knesset Bet Yisrael Synagogue for 10 years. He is the author of two books on Tanakh, Sefer Katsam Gazol and Sefer Ha'ikar Chaser, as well as dozens of articles and numerous publications. He is editor of the Jewish Bible Quarterly and teaches in various institutions in Yerushalayim. Thank you so much, Rav Ron, for joining us today. It's a real sechut to have you with us. It's my pleasure. So, it's Desert Island Torah. Three pieces of Torah that you would take with you to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why they're so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces today. So, if we jump right in, are you ready to share with us your first piece? I am, but I want... Could I just say something beforehand, before we start? I actually went with my wife to a desert island. So I will tell you that we went on a trip to an island called Felidhu in the Maldives. We were there for about a week. There's only 450 people live on that island. We were the only non-natives. And while we were there, we actually spent a day on an actual desert island where we were the only two human beings. And I will tell you from experience, just in case the audience wants to know, if you go to a legit desert island, you bring with you a Gemara and a Chumash with Rashi. So that's just as a practical matter. But having said that, if we want to talk about three pieces of Torah, here's my first piece is something from the Ramchal. Now the Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Luzado, he's very well known for his books, uh, Misilat Yesharim and Derech Hashem. And he also wrote a book that's, I, I think, somewhat less popular called Da'at Tvunot. Even though they have an English translation of it, I think they call it the, the Knowing Heart. That's the English translation. Da'at Tvunot is kind of like a more expanded version of Derech Hashem. So if you like Derech Hashem, you love Da'at Tvunot. And there's a very nice little part in Da'at Tvunot, which is, if you want to look up, it's Siman Sadivav uh, 96. And there he talks about an unusual quote in Masechet Sanhedrin. In Masechet Sanhedrin, Dafa Lamad Zayin Amud Aleph, 37a, it says that all people were descended from one person, Adam Harishon. And this, they say that one of the reasons for that is that each person should say about themselves, Chayav Adam Lomar, a person has to say, Bishvili nivraha olam. The world was created for me. Now that's a statement that it says in the Gemara Sanhedrin. And that's kind of an unusual statement. You say, wait a second, what is it? The whole world revolves around me. What is that supposed to mean? So listen to what the Ramchal says. The Ramchal says, I'll say it in English. She says, What is it that people are supposed to do in this world? It is to get rid of all of the bad stuff in creation. All of the bad stuff that's supposed to be gotten rid of, it's our job to get rid of it. He says, but how do you do it? He says, the first thing is you have to get rid of bitulomimeno. You start with yourself. You take care of yourself first. And afterwards, you go out of yourself in more and more circles, trying to fix things and improve things. Your family, your neighborhood, your society, your country, and then you go global. And he says, this is what it means in Masechet Sanhedrin, when it says that a person has to say the world was created for me. What does it mean? The world was created for me 
to fix. I am responsible to fix the world. Now you fix the world only in stages. You start with yourself and you work outwards from it. And that's what it means. So that statement, rather than being one of like an egotistical statement, is a statement of, let's call it responsibility. And this, I think, is a nice teaching because what it tells you is that everybody could make some kind of change. Everyone, you start small and you get somewhere and you got to make some kind of changes in the world. By the way, this also will explain from the Ramchal's perspective, what does it mean that the Jews are a chosen people? It doesn't mean Jews are chosen people and that means like we're special or better or whatever. It means we're chosen to have a responsibility. That's how the Ramchal always interprets these kinds of statements. And I'll tell you, there's even, there's another, look, I, I just want to add something that he, he continues. And he says, he says, listen, the Midrash in Yalkut Shimoni says, he says, what is it a mashal to? Rav Simai says, it's an allegory. He says, I'll give you a, 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 a metaphor. There was once a big rock that was at an intersection. And whenever people would pass through that intersection, they would trip on that rock. It was a big obstacle. What does the king say? The king says to the people, every time somebody passes by that rock, chip off a little piece of that rock. The, the, the terminology there in the Midrash is kima kima, a tiny bit, chip off a tiny, tiny bit of that rock. And he says, once you guys over time chip off tiny bits of the rock, the king says, and then I'll come and I'll take care of the rest what you couldn't take care of. And that's as if Hashem telling us, everybody in the world, you do what you can. You do a bit, and then everyone chips in a little bit, and then Hashem says, I'm going to come finish the job, yeah? I, can I add one more thing? Listen, in, in Masechet Derech Eretz Zuta, which is, everybody has this at home, it's one of the minor tractates, and it's found in every shas after Pirkei Avot, after Avot, you're going to find it. And it's a collection of right after the Gemara, all of these nice statements about, you know, being a Talmud Chacham and what your attitude should be. And in the first chapter, they have a great line. And look at this line. It says like this. You should love the word Shema. What does Shema mean? Perhaps. What word should you hate? How much? What's our attitude supposed to be? Can I do it? Rather than thinking, well, can I really do it? It's really big. It's it's there's so many pages in this book. It's gonna take a long time. You should hate the comma. How much? What you should love is the word shema. What shema? Maybe, you know, I'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. I'll give it a try. And that's what we're supposed to do with this world. We're supposed to give it a try and fix what we can and do whatever improvements we can. All righty, that's the first idea. I love it. So important. <laughs> and it connects to the Gemara in Chagiga, Yud Bet Amad yeah. Aleph, where um, when Hashem created the world, he said enough, because yeah. we, our job is to recreate it. And our job is to partner with Hashem and add to what he's created and do great things. Yeah. Make a mark on this world. Also, you know what? It builds up every single person, because every person could say, you know what? I can do a little thing. I can chip away a little bit, you know? As, and that, that that's a very empowering kind of an idea. I always exactly. Thought. And it connects also to an essay, um, the community that Ralph Soloveitchik, and he wrote how every human being has something 
unique about themselves, which makes them who they are, and they have to bring that to the community. They find their uniqueness and their individuality, but what they have to do is then take that and bring it to the people as a whole, and that forms the people. I'll tell you something else. You know, Rav Soloveitchik said that when a hespit is given at a funeral, what the, what you're supposed to focus on at the eulogy is exactly the point you're saying. What was the special quality that this person brought in? And that's the thing that made that person special. That's what you're supposed to talk about so that people will realize, you know, the loss that happened because he was such a special person. Yeah. Exactly. Very. Are we ready for your second piece? Okay. I think we are ready. And the second piece is from Rav Klonimus Kalman Shapira, the Piazetsna Rav, very famous, you know, the Rav in the Warsaw Ghetto. Now, there are a few Svarim that are famous of his. And one of them is Hachsharat HaAvreichim. Maybe that's not his super famous one, but at the in the back of editions of that sefer, there's a little mini sefer called Tzav Vizirus. And how do we translate Tzav Vizirus? Um, command and encouragement or motivation. And it's so nice, this little part at the end. By the way, I will encourage every all listeners, whenever you buy a book, a sefer, and then they put in at the end, like these two or three page, like addendum things. You always should read those because there's gems over there that like, you know, everyone knows the classics, but these little things have great stuff too. And Tzav Vizirus is also organized in a fashion that the, the, the ideas there are each less than a page. Each section is less than a page. So even if you only have like five minutes or 10 minutes, you read that, it's very exciting. So now he starts Tzav Vizirus. What I what want to talk about is, what he says in the first two little sections, which is really the first page and a half. He says like this, he says, wouldn't it be great if a person at, upon reaching the end of their life could live their life over knowing what they learned? He says, you know, your whole life, you're, you're working on your issues, you're getting everything organized, you know, you're figuring stuff out. And then by the time you haven't figured out, you're already like old and like all, so much of life has already taken place says, now that's when you're supposed to start. That would be a, gr a great system. So, says, but we don't have such a system. So now he says like this, and this is the beginning of section bet. And I'm just going to say it in Hebrew for one second. And he says, I'll translate. It says, If you want to be a person who is, let's call it, uh, doing mit mitzvot, working the Hashem work, the God work, and you want to, and if you want to raise yourself, and you want, you don't want to be when you're 70 years old, the same way you were at a bar mitzvah. So he says, how do you do that? How does that work? And I'll tell you, you remember back in the days when you were in seminary? And what does every seminary girl say? Oh, I want to grow. I want to grow, right? You know, right? And all the yeshiva boys, oh, I want to grow. And then they're like, who are you looking for? Who would you like to date? Someone who's interested in growth, you know? And then at some point, People like get older and and like they're like, no one talks about growth. Like, like at some point you're just on cruise control. You go, okay, you know, that's it. So he says, how is it that we will maintain growth always? How is that going to happen? So he says, this is his tip. He says like this, this is what you should do. And here's the idea. Every year, make yourself a goal. What do you do? Imagine what kind of person do you want to be next year? 
Where do you want to be next year? Mayu hasagotav. What accomplishments should the, the year from now future version of you have? What kinds of stuff should you be doing? What kind of character traits should you have in this one year ahead version of yourself? And he says, this imaginary version of yourself is what you're supposed to measure yourself up against, which is beautiful. Not measuring up against somebody else, but the 2.0 version of yourself that who decided what that's supposed to be? You. So, and he says, that's what you're supposed to do. And then at the end of the year, you check, did I hit my goals? Did I not? What am I supposed to be doing differently? He says, if you do this, then what's going to happen? The you in a year from now is not going to be like the you a year before. I'll say even further, even if you didn't accomplish those goals, let's say you accomplished 3%, at least there's a 3% improvement in the 2.0 version of yourself. And then you think further for next time. But the whole thought process of thinking in this way, that's what makes the continuous growth. And that's his thats his tip. I think anyone who follows this tip, I mean, of course, you know, then you look back at yourself five years ago and you're like, whoa, that minus five version of myself. Whoa, that's, you know, and, and that's the way you're always moving and different all the time. And he wants to say, this is his interpretation of the Pasuk, the Avraham Zaken Babayamim. It is Avraham was old. And then literally it says coming in days. He says, what does that mean? The Avraham of today was not the Avraham of yesterday. So every day he's coming in a new day. It's a new Avraham. And he had also goals for himself. That's the idea that I wanted to bring from the Piazetsna, which I really think, and I recommend to people when it's Rosh Hashanah time, I say, don't have these like amorphous things, goals for next year. Make yourself, like he says, think of X, Y, Z concrete goals, how you should be, you know, at the end of the, the year. And that's what you should be thinking about and how to change, you know, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah time. Exactly. I was thinking this really connects to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, uh -huh. kind of, that kind of mindset. So why is this so important to you? Why would you bring it with you? What does it mean to you? Why? I'll tell you why. I don't know if anybody ever had this experience. Did it ever? Did you ever have an experience where you go back to somewhere where you were as a kid, and that place, everyone's like it's all the same, and you look back and you're like, "Whoa, you know, I'm going back to where I went to elementary school. There's my eighth grade chemistry teacher, and he's still there. It's been twelve years." This guy's like, and, and and sometimes you're like, whoa, wait, are these people frozen in time? Is that what happened, you know? And I would think to myself, I, I would never want, you know, to be the same mindset now as I was 10 or 15 years ago. Like, like if you're alive, there should be different things happening. And, and I would say like this, you know what's a bracha, I would say? That if you could go back in time and look at the five years ago self, and you say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you, man. You know, because that, that means that there's been movement in your life. I think stagnation to me is terrifying. That That is a terrifying idea. And I think that that's, you know, not even what, what Judaism is supposed to be about, right? You know, it's not like you hit a plateau and then you just sit there. You just, that's it. Now, now you're done. Okay, got a house, got a car. 
That's it. Now I'm going to sit in a chair. I don't know. That's how it is. I, that's why the, the, I, this idea from the Piazzetta is almost like an insurance policy to make sure that there'll always be some kind of change and growth and improvement. It's like the anti-inertia. That, that, that's kind of the idea. I love it. It just terrifies me personally, but, you know, so I wanted to avoid that, you know? I love that. It's really, really great thinking and really important to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Are we ready for your third piece? Okay. Now, the third piece, I want to read something from the Gemara. Now, this is a Gemara story that I really like, and it is Brachot Hey Amud Bet. Let's call that 5B in English. And the story goes like this. One time, Rabbi Elazar was sick. Rabbi Elazar was not feeling well. And who went to visit him? Rabbi Yochanan. Now, Rabbi Yochanan in the Gemara, in a few places, it's noted that Rabbi Yochanan was very, very handsome. He was a very good-looking man. So Rabbi Yochanan goes to do Bikur Cholim to visit the sick Rabbi Elazar. Now, when he finds Rabbi Elazar, the Gemara says, Rabbi Elazar was kagane bebait afel. Rabbi Elazar was lying in bed in a dark house. Lying in bed, dark room, no lights, nothing. What Rabbi Yochanan does was he picked up his sleeve and he was so good looking that, that, that the, there was light shone from his arm. So he lit up the room. And then he sees that what was Rav Elazar doing in the dark, in this dark room? Kabache Rav Elazar. Rav Elazar's crying. So there was Rav Elazar alone, crying in bed in a dark room. Rav, Rav Yochanan says, then why are you crying? Eh, Rav Yochanan says, if it is because you feel that you haven't learned enough Tyra, it's not such a big deal. Because we learned that whether you learned a lot or a little, what's the most important thing? Your intent. So don't you don't have to cry about not learning so much Torah. Then he says, Rabbi Lazar, maybe you're crying about Parnasa. Maybe you feel you haven't accomplished, you know, material greatness in this world. He says, look, you're a Talmud Chacham, and not everybody has both. Okay, the way they say in the Gemara, not everyone gets two tables. Okay, so some people, you know, they, they do all spiritually, and they reach heights, and not so much materially. So don't worry about material loss. Okay. And then he says a third thing. Imishumbane, he says, if you're upset about something that happened with your children, Rabbi Yochanan says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Look, and he would carry with him a small, small bone piece. And Rabbi Yochanan said, listen, I had 10 children who died. And here's a bone from the 10th child. So whatever, you know, you bad, you know, difficulties you had with your kids, it's been much worse for me. So he gives him three reasons not to cry, right? So what does Rav Elazar say? You know why I'm crying? Lahai Shufra, because you're so handsome. And I'm crying because you know what's going to happen to you one day? One day you're going to die and your body is going to decompose. And what's going to happen to all of your good lookingness? It's going to be in the grave. He says, that's why I'm crying. What does Rav Yochanan say? Alda on that vaday kabachi. He says, okay, that's something to cry about. Okay, I get it while you're crying. If you're crying about me and my body decaying, I get it. And then what does it say? Bachu tarvayu. They both cried. At the end of the story, what happens is Rav Yochanan says to Rav Elazar, give me your hand. Yahiv layade, he gave him his hand and he picked him up out of the bed. That is the story. Now, this is kind of an unusual story because 
you have to understand, wait, you know, what? Was Rabbi Lazar really crying because of Rabbi Yochanan, you know, that he's going to die one day? So here's the idea. My understanding is like this. You tell me, what kind of people cry alone in bed in a dark room? What kind of people is that? <laughs> yeah. Sad, sad people. Yeah, it's people <laughs> who are sad, people who are depressed. So Ravalazar was depressed. He was sad. And I'm going to tell you, you know what? Sometimes people are sad, and there's not even a particular thing that they're sad about, right? They're just sad. And therefore, it wasn't helpful for him, for Rabbi Yochanan, to give him three reasons why he shouldn't be sad. That's not helpful for Ravalaza, right? It says, if I'm feeling sad, I don't want someone to tell me why I shouldn't feel sad. Because I'm sad. That's my emotional state. And it's valid because it's my feelings and I'm me. What did Ravalaza need to change his situation? He needed another person to cry along with him. He just needed somebody to, to empathize with him, somebody to be with him. And he needed, and that's why he gave Rav Yochanan, told him something to make Rav Yochanan cry. And when they cried together, that's when the healing began. And what do we see from here? And this is why I love this story. We see from here is that when other people are having a difficult time, what do those other people just want? A companion, someone who's there for them in the difficult time. Not to tell them why it shouldn't be difficult for them, and not even so much to solve the difficulty per se, but just to say, I understand how you feel. I could feel how you're feeling. And that's the way that people really help each other. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit reminds me, you know how when they have, um, when there's a shiva and you're supposed to visit somebody in a shiva house, right? And what's the whole idea? They say, don't talk until the mourner himself starts talking. Yes. So you say, so what's going to happen? I'm going to sit there for, for, for 25 minutes and not say anything and then walk away? Yes. Because what was the benefit of that? That you were there with him. He had nothing to say. You had nothing to say. You had nothing to say together. That's that's when healing comes. And just like over here, the crying together. And I think this is the whole thing. It's kind of telling us in our relationships with other people, don't try to think necessarily about fixing things. And what you really have to think about is being there with those other people. That that That's the main idea very important message i really like that and very powerful um great thing to think about in our everyday yeah. lives and very relevant for sure for sure i think that to me i i like these three ideas because they could carry you through like your interactions with people and with yourself on a daily basis you know Definitely. i'll tell you the first idea of just what, what do you say doing a little bit to fix things right you walk down the street there's a water bottle that somebody left in the street you know, you pick it up, throw it in the garbage. It's a tiny thing. Did you save the entire planet? You did something, right? And the Piazetsna idea, thinking of some way to make yourself a little bit better than you were the day before, the week before, a month before, yes? And this final one also, looking at somebody else, I'm telling you something. You know that I work in the old city a lot, yes? You know what yes. happens almost on a daily basis in the old city? 
you see somebody standing in the old city looking confused, you know? And what does it take to just go over and say, are you, you know, do you need, do you need me to tell you directions? Are you all right? Like, you know, what's going on over there? And sometimes they say, yeah, I'm fine. And then sometimes they're like, yeah, like I'm looking for King David's tomb. Where is that place? You know, and you just say that. That's what it is. Just like you see somebody, try to think, oh, how are they feeling? Yeah, that's the story. Very important. And I think this will be a very important message for all our listeners. Thank now, you. Now, let's get into some icebreakers. What's your favorite Gemara? What's your favorite? Oh, Muslim? my favorite Gemara. Listen, my favorite Gemara. I'm going li to listen. I'm going to go with the easy answer that everybody always likes to say that I also like to say is Masechet Ketubot. Masechet Ketubot, because it's famous that it is, you know, the Shas Katan. Masechet Ketubot, the topics in it, you know, it has bits and pieces of all kinds of stuff in it, right? So, you know, you learn like, for example, Nadarim. What's Nadarim about? Nadarim. It's about vows, you know, page after page, you got vows there. Tubat talks about all kinds of things and mixes it up, and it's it's a lot of fun and it's a blast. But the bottom line is every Gemara, you know, every Gemara when you're, you're learning the Gemara, every Gemara is like a I'm like a person. You know, they have their own personalities, and each one is cute in their own way. Some of them are a bit like tough customers, but each one has its own you know sort of glory to it. But I think Tubat is 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 you know really the, the most fun and exciting. Yes. We'll do one more icebreaker. Favorite book in Tanakh? Favorite book in Tanakh? Oh, that's easy because my favorite book in Tanakh, I'll give you the top two. My favorite book is Sefer Daniel because Sefer Daniel... You teach is, it. I teach it also. I teach it because I like it because it, it's so unusual and, and you know, the visions are, are kind of uh, sort of exciting and, and a little bit wild, I'm going to say. Also, the way it's written is very, very cool. It, you know, the literary part of it. And also the, the fact that it's uh, a lot of it's in Aramaic, I think is just very fun for me. I love it. And but and I'll tell you what, number two, though, the number two is if you, Ezra, Sefer Ezra Nehemiah. And I'll tell you why, because Ezra Nehemiah, if you read it, it's the closest to our experience today. Because Ezra Nehemiah is not like wild miracles is happening. There's not like a sea splitting or frogs or stuff like that, right? It's just Jewish people moving to Israel, having various challenges. And if you look there, these are the exact same challenges that we face today. So it's the most, the book in Tanakh that's most like our experience right now. I love that. Amazing. Thank you for having me here. Ron, thank you so much. For real, if you ever get a chance to head out to the Maldives or something, and you, you get yourself to a desert island for one day, it's a great experience. It really is. I'd love that. Well, well it's not as good as being in Eretz Israel, but I'd love Oh, that. for sure, for sure, for sure. But just, you know, to mix things up a bit, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. So it was great to, to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. 
Thank you again for listening. Thank you.